This week on The Reverse Stick, we create our own celebratory moment as the podcast turns 50. Ernst Bart, Jaspreet Sani, Keely Dunn and Tyron Barnard will join us for a global hockey chit-chat. And greetings and welcome to The Reverse Stick. My name is John Lee, joined again for the 50th time. But, well, actually, it's the 48th time. Oh, yeah, it's well, 47th time. You've got to rub it in. It's the 50th pododcast day of the reverse stick. How are you, Matt Allen? <laughs> I'm good, John. Good to be here, mate. And Happy yes, birthday, by the way. Um, 50 episodes. Who to thunk it? Fantastic. Um, back in June last year when we launched our very first show. And uh, yeah, we're pleased that we've actually had the stamina to make it to 50 episodes. And thank you for those of you that have joined us along the way. And uh, if you've made all 50, we are, perhaps we're going to get some uh, some badges made or something like that, and we might send them out to you. But uh, how was your hockey week, mate? Uh, win. 4-0. Top yeah, of the yeah. ladder. Well, I don't know. That was your Saturday afternoon. That was my Saturday. Oh, don't talk to me about Sunday. You know, there was some great hockey on Sunday. Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Yeah. Yeah, not for me though. Work. Dead set disappointed. Yeah, so you can't eat, to sit. You can't eat hockey balls though. You can't eat hockey balls, but do I? You know, some AFL games aren't that entertaining. To be honest with you, <laughs> I would have rather have been. Yeah, that's another sport. Things. Forget about that. That's this is a celebration of hockey here tonight, and of course a celebration of the fiftieth episode of the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast. And two celebratory moment tonight. We've got a special panel to talk about hockey. We have. We sort of came up with the idea a few weeks ago and thought, wouldn't it be great to get some of our show favourites back and sitting around the table to talk about some of the things that are important to them in hockey and some things that they'd like to discuss with um, a broader hockey community. Now, we've brought together a panel covering all of the confederations that so we've got every corner of the globe covered in our global hockey chit-chat. Looking forward to it. Do you want to go through it? Well, there's... I'll mention them at the top of the show. Ernst Spart. Ernst Spart from bhockey.com and hockeytoday.cc. Um, calling in from Belgium. He's, he's going to be bringing up the topic of tradition versus innovation in the game. Uh, Jazz Pratsani is going to join us as well from that, Delhi. That's right. Ardent hockey lover and sports journalist Jazz. Um, obviously a, a regular contributor to the show who talks about Indian hockey with us and gives us some really great insight there. Yeah, he's An got, avid wildlife lover. Of course, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Save the Tigers. Did you, oh, did you, see the the tigers. The, you see the one of the buffalo running down the road today? That I didn't catch funny. that, no. Of people reversing up and heading <laughs> the other way when they saw the buffalo coming down. Or the save road. the drivers then. Very funny, it was. Uh, Jazz is going to talk about the state of Asian women's hockey. Mm. Uh, That's not so funny. No. <laughs> and uh, Tyron Bernard from sports247.co.za and all things Jaboo. Tyron would like to speak about where are the women coaches and to round everything off. A woman, Killy Dunn. Not a coach, but an umpire. An umpire coach. Yeah, well, there you go. There's your answer, Tyron, but you know, you can get to ask that question soon coming up in the show. And, uh, Keely, of course, of fhumpires.com, calling here from Calgary in Canada. It'd be an early start for Keely there. Sorry about that. Um, and Keely's main topic to discuss is ageism in umpiring, specifically higher up the ladder. Well, I still think Keely and I are going to find some common ground in that discussion. Well, We'll, we'll see, because uh, she's probably got some points about you not wanting people to umpire until they're at least 16 years old. Well, maybe. Um, let's get to a couple of results, though, first. News, Matt. Uh, 
as I said, I missed some good hockey on the weekend, Sunday especially. Uh, it started off with the Women's Asian Champions Trophy, the final there between India and Korea, and the Koreans got up 1-0 over the Indian women. Um, China claimed third spot over Malaysia with a 2-0 win earlier in the day, so congratulations to Korea there. The Asian Champions Trophy winners for 2018. Korea ranked number 9, China number 8, India number 10, and Malaysia number 22. So Malaysians did well there to finish fourth, you would say. Well, we'll be talking more about that with Jazz coming up soon. We will. Uh, Euro club hockey, that was the uh, other big ticket item going across the weekend because it was everywhere. We well, didn't know where to look. There was four different streams at various times that were going yeah. on from different venues, um, including the big competition for the women. Uh, which was the Euro Club Cup. That's right. For women, held in London. Uh, was at the Surbiton Hockey Club. Yeah, essentially a knockout competition, and that was won by... Den Bosch. Den Bosch, okay, that's who I'm supposed Much to call. Den Bosch won. Champion Dutch club. Yep, got over the top of UH Schamburg. UHC Hamburg. UHC Hamburg. 2-1. Uh, anyway, that was the result there, so well done to Den Bosch. Uh, Campo de Madrid came in third. AH and VC Amsterdam in fourth place. Mannheimer fifth. Uh, Victoria Smolovici, six players. Surbiton ladies came in seventh, and UCD ladies came in eighth. Those two teams playing off for those last two positions there. Four nil to Surbiton over UCD. Uh, Eva de Heard was the best player of the tournament there. Lena Michiel of Ullenhorst, the best under 21 talent. Uh, Noel Rother uh, from UHC Ullenhorst, also best goalkeeper. Uh, Charlotte Vega, top goalscorer from Amsterdam. And finally, Oh, no, that is finally. That was the last thing. <laughs> okay. We also had the Euro uh, Club Trophy for women. That was happening in Dublin over the weekend. And um, Holcomb got up there to uh, win the final over Junior. Uh, won all at full time, but Holcomb got the goals when it's mattered in the, the shootout, winning the game 4-2. Now, was that the, the, the shootout that was won by the young lady that uh, scooped, scooped it from the top of the D uh, uh, Hockey World News included this on a, on a oh, post with that it's yeah. A, yeah it's an absolute crack it's the kind of shootout one that you like the keeper yeah, comes yeah, striding out young lady just pops it up right. over the top bit of a swing in the air a swing and a miss from the keeper in the air Take beautiful the first way to opportunity do it. and she did uh, well done to uh, Holcomb there for winning that competition the club trophy so that would put them up into the um, next tier competition wouldn't it the, one we've just mentioned. Yeah, should do. Cup. Well, it, or it would, it would certainly um, allow for another spot to be created for for England um, okay. on, on those sides. That's ten- how it tends to work. It might not mean that you'll get that position, but it will create an extra position or potentially lose a position um, for your okay. national teams in that competition. Uh, Grondo came in third place there. Krylaskoy in fourth. Monkstown did uh, pretty well to finish fifth. Uh, Sumchanka, sixth place, Slava Prague in seventh, and Lil MHC finishing eighth place there. That was the trophy. Just some quickly some other women's results in the, um, where are we going? The Euro Club Challenge 1 for women. Uh, Braxgata Hockey Club finished equal first with Edinburgh University in that particular competition there. Um, the funny way they do this is two teams finish one, two teams finish third, two teams finish fifth, and two teams finish seventh. We'll talk about that more next week when we've got some more time, but that just seems it stupid because no one wins it. That's how it appears. But well done to uh, Brax Garter and to Edinburgh University for finishing equal first there. Club Challenge 2 for women, that was held in Ghent in Belgium. It was won by, well, equally won by Black Boys Hockey Club Geneva and 
Gentoise, is that how it's pronounced? Gentoise Hockey Club. They both finished equal first following that round robin, and they play half a final series. Once again, we've got to talk about that next week. It seems a bit crazy. Euro Club 3 challenge for women. That uh, equal first position's there to... Oh, <laughs> Can I help with this one, John? Yeah. Gazianatep. Gazianatep. We'll leave it at that. And Navax equaled finish... Uh, equal first there. I'm not sure what countries I've got, from. I think, I think I've got some NAVACs in the cupboard from my Sciatica. Cardiff University finished third in equal third in that particular competition, Euro Club Challenge 3 for women. That was played in Vienna. On to some of the men's stuff now. Uh, the Euro Club Hockey Trophy for men was played in Vienna. Uh, Grange Hockey Club took out the final there, beating Vinesta. Uh, 5-2 in the final. Uh, Meeks came in third, right waist wedge and in fourth. Vice, vice. Vice. Right, vice. Uh, Stroidal Breast in fifth. WAC six. What? Don't laugh at my pronunciation. Bosnan <laughs> <laughs> seventh and Hockey Club Bra. Eighth place there. That's the club trophy that yeah, in Vienna. Sweet, bra. Um, quickly though, the club challenge one for men in Geneva. Uh, that's a, one of those silly round robin things again. Um, Mlad, Mladost and Slava Prague equaled finished. No, Mladost. Oh, I can't, I can't, I'm confused by this now because there's no table for this one. Slava Prague and La Masse equal, finished equal first there for the Club Challenge 1 for men. In Club Challenge 2, we've got um, Hockey Club Zelina and Whitchurch Hockey Club both finishing equal first in that particular event in uh, Lubavitsi in Slovenia. Hockey Challenge Club 3 for men. That was in Copenhagen in Denmark. And the results there went the way of Zvreda Toras and Giantep something else. <laughs> That's who they, We'll go through it, as I said, in more detail next week with the correct pronunciations from Matt. But, uh, congratulations to the Euro Challenge 3 teams who competed there. And Euro Challenge 4, finally. Uh, Sorokasi. Sorry. Soro Sari Hockey Club and uh, Moravesk Toplis finished equal first in uh, Euro Club Challenge 4 I for bet, men. I bet they did. And they'll probably be going up rankings or however it works as you mentioned before but we'll go through all of those details next week in far more detail. There's been plenty going on in the hockey world as well. A little bit of international stuff. The uh, Irish boys had a series win two games two games played against Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, so world number 10 against world number 5 on home soil there for the Irish. Uh, a 1-1 draw and a 2-1 win. Two goals in the space of a couple of minutes uh, sealed the second victory there. We've got the Tri-Nations uh, tournament happening in Cromwell in New Zealand. Uh, hockey Roos after... Uh, Just about every result's been 4-1, hasn't it? Yeah, well, the Hockey Roos have played 3-1-3. Three, three. Uh, New Zealand played 4-1-1 one, one and lost 3. And Japan played 3-1-1 one, one and lost 2. So Australia looking pretty strong there. But as we spoke before, that Japanese team is obviously going to be a bit experimental because they also had a side that was playing recently yeah. um, in Korea there. Um, and that's about it. We've got Argentina versus Malaysia um, coming up in the men's uh, series. And there is plenty coming up in the next month or two. Oh, Hockey's boy, oh, boy, really oh, kicking off. And so, uh, we'll of course, this weekend, the EHL Final oh, Four. How could we forget? The, the, it's sort of the culmination of the Euro Hockey League season. So uh, Sunday's already sold out, I believe, the final. Yeah. So 
It'll be a great crowd. Oh, great, and great really watching. Looking forward get, to it. Yeah, get onto EurohockeyTV.org and uh, catch the, the live stream in there because it will be a spectacle. You would be a fool to miss it. I'm really pleased to think that I'll be able to catch this week's game too. So I'm really looking forward to it. But time for us to move on. You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast, and to celebrate our 50th podcast, we thought we'd bring together a panel of great hockey minds to discuss some of the issues facing the hockey world at the moment, Matt. Nobody laughed at all then, so uh, what's that telling us about what's going to happen now? They think they've got great hockey minds, (laughs) so it's all good. (laughs) Now, (laughs) we're joined tonight by Keely Dunn from Calgary, all the way in Canada there. We've also got with us Ernst Bart. You're in uh, Belgium, I believe, Ernst. That is the case. Uh, Antwerp. Antwerp. Tyron Barnard joins us as well from South Africa, Tyron. He's in Joburg. Yeah, has it, has it. Uh, very good. And Jaspreet Sani is with us as well. Jaspreet in Delhi. Yeah, New Delhi. New Delhi. Uh, look, we've got a global panel here for the Global po- Hockey Podcast, and we want to give you guys an opportunity to speak about some of the hockey subjects that you think we should be talking more about and looking at the game going ahead into the future. And we thought what we'd do is kick it off, first of all, with Tyron, because uh, Africa's not a country we hear too much from in the world. Or continent. Hockey, or continent, as it turns <laughs> out. But we're not necessarily talking continental-based questions, so it's going to be interesting to hear what Tyron has to bring up for us this evening. How are you, Tyron? Yeah, I'm always good, and always uh, good to, to be on air with you. Um, and happy 50th, gents. Thank you very much. It's a... Uh, didn't think we'd get here at some stages, but we are. We're very pl- ha- very proud and happy about or, it. Yeah, or well, 48th for some of you, um, <laughs> you know, after their long holidays. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to ignore that comment. <laughs> I, I told you, Mick, I was letting the dog in, actually. It's only 47, I think, Tyron. Oh, poor, poor show. <laughs> hate is going to hate. <laughs> anyway, what would you like to bring up for us tonight? Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, it was recently articles that I wrote uh, and shared on on SA Hockey and, and uh, the Hockey Family as well as my own site, Sports 24-7. Uh, but I was recently down at the South African Nationals, uh, the, the Women's National Tournaments, 12 teams competing in the top division for top honours as the, as the top provincial side in the country. And what struck me was, of those 12 teams, we had nine male coaches. Of course, South Africa also played host to the FIH World League semi-final um, in Johannesburg last year. Um, and once again, of the 10 female teams that came across, there was only one female coach. Now, in both those tournaments, a female coach ended up winning the tournament. Um, it was uh, Piri Kutsia Turner, the world record goal scorer, won it with Southern Gauteng. And um, uh, United States uh, obviously won and I can never remember their coach's name, Yannicka Skopman. Yeah, Skopman, yeah. Shopman, however you pronounce it. Um, so it was a female coach at one, and it also comes on the back of that uh, outstanding article that was released in, in Vogue last week, where uh, they were canvassing for Becky Hammond to be the first female coach in the NBA. You know, they spoke about the fact that there's 123 head coaches in the men's major sports leagues. But I said, you know what, before we start looking at getting women to head up our, our men's sides, where are our women coaches? Where are the women leading our women's team? Uh, obviously, I don't have all the squads for 
for the World Cup. But we know that the World Cup coming up now in, in London is going to be predominantly men coaches. And once again, I, I'd love to see a female coach win. I know a South African is not a female coach, but uh, I'd love to see a female coach win and I'd love to see more females uh, given those opportunities because I think I think uh, we're, we're missing a trick in hockey and uh, I look forward to hearing the comments of the panel on this. Yeah, so... Yeah, you're absolutely right. Women's top ten at the moment. There's two female coaches out of those top ten sides. Um, world number one, the Netherlands, of course, Alison Allen, who was on the show fairly recently from over at the Commonwealth Games, and Janneke Schopman um, of the USA. Um, look, you know, the success is certainly there from uh, with the Netherlands, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's. Um, I think we've seen success. I mean, Piri could see a winning with Sana Gating. Um, she's really uh, getting great quality there. We've seen um, Janneke Skobman take a USA side to an unlikely World League win. I mean, the Netherlands have been a dominant team for years. If you look at the Indoor Hockey World Cup, uh, a few of the top performing teams were, were coached uh, by, by female coaches. But it just feels like too often they're maybe not given the opportunity and there's nothing uh, in performance that says they shouldn't do it. So, I mean, I know it's a problem here that we have, that we're just not giving the, the female coaches the opportunity, but it's not just a, a South African or African problem. It's definitely, as you can see by those stats, an international problem. Yeah, yeah go for it. I was going to say, if I can break in a little bit, um, what's interesting is that you're absolutely right for the global stage that women coaches are, are largely absent, but... Uh, when you look at the United States, it's exactly the opposite. And it's no surprise that Yannicka Schottman's heading up the uh, the national team now but and June Kentwell doing the indoor team. But when you look at their top uh, domestic competition, which is obviously the NCAA college, which is all women's uh, teams, the head coaches are almost entirely female. And I've heard complaints about foreign coaches coming in from other places like uh, the Netherlands and such, complaining about the difficulty of breaking into those head coaching roles because there's such a strong hegemony in place that the uh, presumption is that, no, we need female coaches and, you know, what do men know about hockey and, and that sort of thing. And I, I don't think that's a function of societal forces. I don't think that's an indicator of, you know, a flipping of the gender norms. I think it is a hockey culture thing because women's hockey in the U.S. is so female-dominated. And they don't largely pay attention to things that are going on outside in the rest of the world. So it, it is a, a remarkable contrast that shows you that it isn't necessarily always Societal forces. It can be a hockey culture issue. So Ernst, where do, where do you find the the culture of of women coaching in mainland Europe? Well, honestly, uh, I've never really given it much thought. Uh, uh, for me, I truly don't give a shit if it's a woman or it's a man coaching a team, and whether it's a woman's team or if it's a man's team. I think if, if, if you're playing at, at, at the top level, you want to get the right coach for the right team uh, at the right moment. 
and whether this is the guy or this is a woman is completely irrelevant for me. There are several women's coaches uh, who are active in in uh, in the Dutch Hofklasse, so with with the club teams at at a high level, uh, and and several of them are doing really well. Uh, in in the Belgian competition, uh, it's not so common. There 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 are a few female coaches. Uh, at my own club, we have our women's first team which is a contender for the national title always, is being coached by, by one of our f- past great players, Sophie Hirsch. Uh And, and uh, she's doing a good job there. And I know, for example, that, that uh, recently in, in, in Germany, one of their top men teams has been coached by a former German international women's player, Tina Bachmann. So... They, they they do exist. They, they are they are they are uh, less common. They are less less out there, but they do exist. I uh, I agree with both the comments that this is one a culture thing and two they do exist, but um, they're found only in places where the women hockey is dominated, like mm-hmm. like in the Americas, uh, except Argentina. If you see uh, women hockey is most dominant in countries like dominant in the sense that their hockey is considered more a women's game than a men's game in countries like Chile and all. Um, and, and 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 when when we come to the Asian subcontinent, um, you know how big is. Uh, the gender thing here uh, in terms of men and women so most of the times you will see only uh, men coaches even at the academies uh, at the grassroots level you will hardly find any women coaches and if there are they will only be coaching the women teams that's because of the culture thing as uh, Kelly pointed out uh, um, if if it's a dog it's, it's it's a society dominated it's more, more or less a male-dominated society, then we will find more men coaches than women coaches. But even if there are women coaches, they will mostly be uh, confined to the women teams, not the men teams. Thanks, Chaz. Uh, Tyron? Yes, I think for me, the, the big thing around this is, uh, you know, exactly what many of the panel have said. I think it, there is quality coaches. I just think uh, the culture has not maybe made it as easy for some ex-players to transition into coaching and for some coaches to be given that opportunity, especially maybe in the countries where uh, the men's hockey is the dominant uh, force and the women's hockey is the the second force. I think what we've seen from America is a clear example of how it works. I think in the Hoofde class we see some incredible uh, correlation between men and women. And again, it just seems like the right person is chosen. And I potentially would just like to say that my final thought on it is, you know, bodies, provincial, national bodies, shouldn't be scared because of someone's gender. I think they should look at what the credibility is of the person and give them the task based on can they do it or not. Yeah, look, I totally agree with you. I think um, certainly at a club level here, I see probably more male coaches coaching female teams than I, than I see the other way around, apart from maybe in junior hockey. There are some instances, um, but rare, of, of uh, women leading men's teams in a coaching capacity. Um, it's all about opportunity, I think, and it's about having the um, the right kind of pathways at club and state and provincial level to, to show that there aren't any boundaries there for it. Like you say, if you, you're good enough, you, you should be able to um, to do the job. Um, there's a still a long way to travel, though, isn't there? 
And and I guess the the situation is this: is as Ernst said, he doesn't care um, as to what gender a coach may be. But I think it's time that we do care. And in order for better representation to exist amongst coaches, we have to take active steps. We have to provide the support that allows women to see that they can achieve in these areas. If if women don't see each other coaching, you, you have to see it to be it. And there needs to be active steps taken, promotions done, uh, and other you know forms of financial or social support provided so that women can ascend to you know e- even to start coaching to go to the clinics as, as jazz was saying um, to to get on the ladder to move up because um, as you were saying John we're missing a trick we're missing out on a huge swap of really great hockey people and there's no question it's not like we're awash with coaches and we can just say oh no we don't need all those women we've got plenty of coaches <laughs> without them so we need to take the steps to bring them into the fold so that we have women showing uh, and, and providing great hockey experiences to uh, the overall community just to wrap up that for a second guys I think you make some really interesting points there Keely and I think it's very easy for us just to look at the top level of hockey as well and internationally, but hockey coaching goes all the way through the ranks. It goes down through the ages into under-11s or, or minky and all those sorts of things, and it's from that age we need to be including women in the coaching sphere. And very often you see it's dads out there doing the coaching at that age. For whatever reason, that's the way it's worked out for the sport. And Maybe the more women we can encourage to get involved in coaching at those lower levels will spread its way through to the top. At the moment, the women who are successful at the top end of coaching were amazingly successful as players as well. And it's time we saw, say, maybe some of these women who aren't great necessarily as players but make really top-line coaches, as we see in the, the men's game all the time. You're listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast, and we've got our special star-studded panel talking hockey issues. That's right, 50th episode, and we're having our global hockey chit-chat. Joining us from New Delhi now is Jazz Sani. Those who listen to the show regularly will no doubt know Jazz's voice. Now, Jazz wants to talk about the state of Asian women's hockey. Jazz, fire away. Hi, guys. How are you? We're good, mate. Yeah, we just saw the Asian Champions Trophy finishing where uh, China picked India in the finals to win it. You guys saw a bit of it. As I saw you chatting over the uh, Twitter uh, regarding where to find the live stream and all. Yeah, I, I thought that everybody liked it. I, I did see uh, quite a bit of it. I missed the final though, Jazz. I had to work, unfortunately, which I was not very happy about. But I was very disappointing viewing figures, I thought. Yeah, I I think we had a conversation on this also of 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 uh, of the main Twitter feed that that is not the public forum. Yeah, on the direct messages. But yeah, I think um, there were it was very disappointing considering India and China were playing the finals, the two most populous countries in the world, and uh, just 250 odd uh, viewers uh, watching the YouTube feed. That was disappointing, but. Uh, then I had certain conversations with many of the experts here that uh, why this happened or what was the logic behind it or what was the reason behind it. So they were of the opinion that 
though it was disappointing that many few indians very less indians were there uh, watching the feed but uh, in terms of china and countries like china japan uh, china and japan especially uh, you won't find much people participating especially in terms of viewership uh, in a women's hockey match because it happens generally in uh, countries where uh, uh, hockey the main teams the men's team does well only then the women's get the eyeballs that uh, they, they deserve so in terms of china and japan where the men's team are not men's team is not as strong as the women's uh, men's team is not strong and not performing not winning at the international level so the interest uh, is 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 very less on the women's uh, front because uh, they know that it, it, they know that it's not going to happen in terms of winning medals and all so uh, so that was some people thought was the reason behind but then they couldn't point out why there were very few indians uh, missing from uh, from the live stream uh, even when the team was playing the finals but uh, yeah um, it was disappointing in terms of india because uh, because many people thought that uh, the team did well in at the commonwealth games especially the uh, semi final against australia which they lost 1-0 but still uh, the, they thought that the indian team played like one that won't be a pushover at the world cup so uh, considering that um, it was a bit of a blip that uh, very few people joined in could be the reason uh, which i find was the chopping and changing of coaches that happens very often in india and this time the women's team was at the receiving end because they were getting used to with uh, harendra singh but then again uh, short was not found good enough for the men's team and he was put back in charge of women so there was a comment going on that when a coach is not good enough for the men's for for one national team how can he be good enough for the other national team so so that was that could be the reason why the interest dipped even despite a good commonwealth games for the indian women where they finished fourth could have won the bronze medal but couldn't um, so yeah that that sums up the reason why there was less viewership so jazz um from from your, the, the top ranked asian uh, women's nations we've got china at number 8 korea at number 9 india at number 10 japan at number 12 and there's always seems to be a fair amount of competition between those teams and it could go any way of course korea beat india 1-0 in the final um there was lots of results went either way in the in the games there and have done over the previous few tournaments including in kakamigahara city most recently where uh, india of course were lauded after their performances there received yeah. absolutely no support prior to the tournament until they actually won the thing and then suddenly they were the darlings of the media but then outside of those top 4 you've then got to go down to malaysia at 22 thailand at 28 kazakhstan at 34 singapore at 35 so do you think that perhaps the the standard of the game suffers a little because of that lack of breadth uh, and depth in the the standard of competition of, of of course it does because if you get more nations playing at a level that the other top 10 are playing of of course there will be more competition and more tough results but then again um, uh, in terms of uh, countries like japan who are preparing for uh, the tokyo olympics uh, and china um, who are trying to push themselves up the rankings uh, from number 8 to maybe top 5 uh, the more competition they get from um, uh, the other uh, asian teams the tougher it will be become for them uh, 
to to scale up uh, or to go up the rankings so i think uh, lack of competition is there but i don't think that four teams it it's it's always been like that in 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 asia it's always been like between four or five teams whether you look at the men's side or the women's side even on the men's side you had korea you had malaysia you had uh, india you had pakistan it was all it's always been between these four teams korea has slipped behind a little so similarly in the women's side it's always between um, india china japan and korea so uh, in terms of uh, widening the depth of the competition of course it will help players grow it will help the competition become more intense and more relevant and more uh, watchable but uh, it, it, it's 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 been a traditional thing that uh, hockey uh, is competed always between four or five nations uh, in asian subcontinent okay at this point i i just want to open it up a little bit jazz and and ask the others well th- Personally, the way I see it is the two big growth areas potentially for hockey are Africa and Asia. Now, what's going in the game's favour in Asia is that you already have countries like India in there that have a great hockey history and background and infrastructure, etc. But you also have so much room for growth growth potential. But in those smaller countries, especially like Indonesia and and China and and the the larger populous nations, um, now... Is there a genuine interest in Asian hockey elsewhere? Um, in, in Europe, for instance, Ernst, does anybody care what happens in Asian hockey? Oh, sure they yeah. do. Uh, I, I'm not sure that they really care about women's hockey in Asia, uh, specifically. Uh, but uh, obviously, I think that everybody in Europe is very conscious of the fact that we need uh, strong hockey nations from all continents if we want to be a relevant sport in the future. So, yeah, obviously there's, there's in Europe, there's a lot of interest uh, for what's happening in, 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 in Asia uh, and, and, and even so in Africa. Uh, as in every country, I think that everybody focuses always on, on, on their own continent and on their own country. But, uh, no, we do look for what is happening in, uh, in those parts of the world. Absolutely. Keely, you'll be at the Cochabamba Games coming up very soon and if you look at it South America is very similar to Asia in the sense that they've got uh, one very powerful nation essentially and then other nations striving to to make their way in the hockey world yeah there there is some similarity there but I think um, what happened is obviously Les Leones Leones, uh, preceded the men's team in terms of success by a good 10, 15 years. So they dominated the scene and they were the ones to really push the sport in uh, Latin America and got the big sponsors on board. I was really surprised. I've been down Argentina a few times, but I used to marvel. We'd walk around and see a shopping mall and at the entryway, there'd be a massive picture of, of Lucha right there and it would be Visa and Coca-Cola and Adidas <laughs> and like the, the biggest multinational corporations were completely behind this team and their pictures were everywhere and i i think when you so so you start you start looking at that and there's visibility and so you went to the matches and you you'd go and you'd see in the stands there were tons of girls like the place was just full of women and girls watching their heroes playing and that caught on with Chile. Now, Chile is really ascending 
uh, Uruguay is, is fantastic. They they really do support their women's team. So that, that success really did snowball. And I think the other issue that we see is that the the PAF, the, the Pan Am Continental Federation, really promotes their female teams and their female athletes. So when there is an event on that is, you know, perhaps women's only or is um, dual gender like the South American Games that uh, John mentioned that are happening in Cochabamba in, in uh, a week, they, they'll do profiles on the women's players. You'll know their names. You'll know their faces. You'll see interviews. They're, they're on posters. They're very visible. That, for me, when I was watching the coverage of the Asian Champions Challenge, or this Champions Trophy, that was lacking just so incredibly throughout the coverage. So there's a little bit from the Asian Hockey Federation, but there's nothing like, hey, here's this player. Look at what she's been able to accomplish. Here are her thoughts on, you know, how to play the game at this level. Who are the main competitors? Seeing their faces and the individuation of the actual players, it's what's really lacking in the Asian Federation, and this is what they're going to need in order to get the sport more followed because nobody cares right now because we don't know who they are. Yeah. Hey, Kili, um, yeah, uh, I would like to come in here. Um, in countries like the top four, na- top four nations, of course, are India, Japan, China, and Korea. Uh, except India, when you take China, Japan, and Korea, um, with due respect to them, th- th- what they lack right now is... Um, is, 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 is fluency in English, whether it's social media, whether it's conversation, whether it's anything. They are more comfortable in their regional languages like China, Korean, or um, Chinese, or Korean, or uh, Japanese. So in, on that front also, until and unless uh, they put in more information in English on their respective social media channels, etc., etc., and it applies to countries like Belgium and Netherlands as well, who are... Um, mostly, uh, uh, mostly local language oriented, even on the social media channels. So, until unless more English language content is floated out there, I think uh, the reach will not increase. Yeah, but and Jazz, I just wanted to add a little bit there because I realized that I wanted to add a caveat in my diatribe about lack of promotion that Hockey India actually from what I can see as as a recipient, you know, on the other side of the world, they do a great job in promoting their, their female athletes. And I know their names. I know their faces. When I watched them at the Commonwealth Games, I knew who I was looking at and I was watching playing. And that made a huge difference. I was invested in their success. I wanted to see, you know, Rani score and because I knew who they were. And that's the difference. And that's why I think... If, if Hockey India can be the leaders in that respect and show how using the English language and using better and more, and I don't know if it's just because they don't want to, it, it's a modest to promote the women. I don't know what it is, but that, that really does need to change. So apologies, Jazz. Hockey India is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think vis- visibility certainly is um, a, a big concern. Oh, I spoke about it in last week's show. We um, we get to find out about what's happening with all the male teams that are all geared towards the EHL, but the, the EH um, 
Champions Cup, the, the, the Euro Cup for women, receives nowhere near the uh, the um, the kudos, I guess, as a competition. And uh, I, and I don't know who who the responsibility comes down to about getting more reports out there and getting that visibility going. Tyron, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I must just remember to turn mute off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Ernst, Ernst really hit the nail on the head for me in terms of visibility. And it's something, um, I think, John, you actually said a couple of weeks back. There is just so much hockey out there that we all become so uh, invested in the hockey closest to us. And then when we do start to watch an international brand, we're going to watch a premium brand. Um, and you know, I speak on behalf of Africa. When we, when we share some of our um, our events, to be quite frank, they're not premium brands. So I wouldn't expect the whole world to stop and watch. Uh, where we're fortunate is we have an absolutely incredible um, broadcasting company called SuperSport, and when they did the World League, they took it to a new level from a broadcasting point of view. But the big thing is broadcasting. Um, you know. Time. People watch so much sport, and with the internet these days, you can watch any sport you want to. Uh, there's just almost too much, and with that comes the difficulty of making sure people are aware of what's going on, because your your inboxes and your calendars are full with all your own events, that you don't take time to sit back and say, hey, what else is happening? So everybody plugs into the World Cup. Everyone will plug into a World League and a Commonwealth Games and an EHL because it is a premium. From an India side, we were plugged into Hockey India League because there were South African men playing there. There was no women's alternative. And quite honestly, unless I was going to find the information quite simply, it wasn't something that I was going to spend days looking for to try and get. So, you know, we, we have to... Uh, each country is responsible for making sure they advertise enough. And by advertise, I don't mean um, crazy marketing, but just make information readily available. Yeah. And the second thing is, you know, decide what your premium brand is that you want to share. Because if you try and share all your tournaments, um, you know, the chances that they're all at the top level are, are probably not that high. That's right. You're absolutely right about that information being available. And hopefully at the Hockey Live on Twitter, uh, hashtag LivestreamHockey, might come some way towards bridging the gap a little bit for some of the broadcasters around the world. Anyway, John, time to move on? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Um, get to our next guest. Where's him? It's only going to fall one or two ways. Keely Dunn. Keely, time for you to step up. What have you got in store for us? All right. Well, everybody's favorite topic, umpires. Um, there's one particular thing that I've been noticing as a trend in the last few years that might not be overtly uh, obvious to, uh, say, the rest of the panel or other hockey observers, but I think it's having some some ramifications for our grassroots development in umpiring, and that's the movement towards younger umpires on the international stage. So I don't know if you're aware, but in 2016 in Rio, we had... Uh, of the two women on the gold medal game, we I, I, they set an informal record with Lauren Del Forge being appointed at the age of 25 uh, to a gold medal game, which was a fantastic achievement for her and absolutely well deserved. Um, and and what we're seeing is that umpires are getting 
younger and younger, and it's not, it's not by accident, it's not by mistake. So we do have a mandatory retirement age of 47 from international umpiring, which you may not have known. And there's no question that the game has really sped up in recent years thanks to um, the, the skills and the, the tactics of the aerial ball, the self-pass, and just the overall athleticism of the players. So that's one aspect of it. But there's also a push towards the aesthetics because the game is now being uh, promoted so heavily uh, visually and on on streams, on television, they want the umpires to look like the players. They want them to look slender and young and fit. And that will help, especially on the women's side, uh, market the sport when you have more uh, conventionally attractive people running around after these uh, extraordinary athletes. So umpires are now debuting on the international stage if they're on a on a real track for uh, future progress they're starting when they're when they're teenagers or in their early 20s and uh, I remember John and, and Matt were talking on a on a pad podcast probably several episodes ago about how um, I think John in particular doesn't think that umpires should be starting until they're about 16 years old anyway. They shouldn't be picking up the whistle because they need enough time to develop their hockey knowledge. So we've got a very small window now in which umpires can start and have a view to, hey, I could make this a, uh, an, an international thing. I want to go abroad. I want to you know, see the, the game on a global stage and, and be a part of that. And now we've, we've got uh, maybe a four-year window in which umpires can, can start their careers. And so given that information that I've tossed out to you and all those gross overgeneralizations, <laughs> I wonder what, what do you guys think about how that will affect grassroots umpiring uh, in, in all of your areas? Well, well, I think we'll open that up, Joey. First of all, well, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm a little bit interested, Keely, because uh, you, you talk about the push to aesthetics and, uh, you know, potential celebrity, uh, and there isn't, there's, there's not a mistake on the selection of youth. What, who, who's making these decisions, and why, why do you think they're making those decisions? Hmm. Well, um, <laughs> the, the, the people making the decisions are are basically those who are in the top brass of the FIH and moving down through the committee levels, and then those decisions filter down through the continents and, and such like that in time. Um, it's an overall reflection of the marketing push of the FIH to try to make the sport as appealing as possible and to use... Uh, to use appearance as one of the selling points, and so it's a it, it's a very controversial point, and I I want to be careful about how I present it. Uh, but it's it, it's definitely something that also has a negative effect on umpires, in my view, because if you look and you you watch a hockey match on TV, and all you see are a certain mold of women or a certain mold of men who are out there, who are slender, who have long hair, who who present uh, as perhaps heteronormative, then what does that say to the people who are watching who might be interested in umpiring and say, oh, well, I don't look like that, so I don't think I can umpire. And then you lose out on those people 
sport contributing and, and making great hockey possible. But yeah, I think diversity is a really, a really good point there, and uh, and and I also I'm really pleased to hear that there's an FIH marketing push happening. Uh, that, that's that's great news. Let's open it up, Tyron. Do you want to you want to chip in there? Yeah, I mean, so we're we're fortunate here in South Africa is um, we really have a fantastic uh, a fantastic hockey uh, umpiring feeder system going on. I mean, we we we've been fortunate to have. Uh, one of the world's best in John Wright um, available for us and who willingly gives back. Um, you know, and I just look back at uh, the IPT, the, the interprovincial tournament that we played uh, that I was down at the other day, and we had a great, great combination of, of umpires, young, different races, uh, different looks, different feels, um, well, I mean, I didn't feel any of them, but I mean, <laughs> different um, management of the game, uh, you know, and, and we, we're very fortunate. So I found that in South Africa, we probably we probably let anybody who's interested become an umpire, um, and we haven't really been exposed uh, maybe to that challenge yet, Gilly. Um Once again, though, we're not talking about playing at the a level where all our games are live on television and stuff uh, right now our view is pretty much if we don't notice the umpire they were doing a great job here here before we get to uh, to Ernst I, <laughs> I just want to talk about what I was mentioning when I clearly quote well didn't quote us but you know when the issues we're talking about there with umpiring my my observations were based on watching some, some junior games where they were trying to get kids from the age group above to umpire uh, the age group below and they what I thought was that the, the kids at that age need really good strict umpires who know the game really well so they can learn and develop their skills and what I saw was that wasn't happening I'm, I think on the podcast I quote one whole half of under 13's hockey where not one stick check was paid now if you've ever seen ever under 13's hockey you know that there's a hundred every half so to see not one paid, and these kids were learning bad habits because they weren't being umpired correctly. And so I, I thought that the best way to do that is make sure that we as adults take responsibility for developing our children and not let other children do it and allow kids to learn the game before they start thinking about umpiring and, and understand what is and isn't a free hit through experience. Now... That sounds all great until you find out from Keeley that by if you're not made it by the time you're 24, you're out the door. But that's very much the experience for players as well. Yeah, that's also your viewpoint, and that wasn't my viewpoint at the time, but we'll leave that. Okay, we will for the moment. But I'm interested to hear what you might say, Ernst, about that sort of umpiring culture in, in the Netherlands and Belgium especially. Yeah, well, uh, interesting. I, I, I know very well Lorin Delfors, the example that Kili gave here. Uh, I, I was happy to be in Rio uh, together with, with Lorin the day before that she got appointed to the final. I already predicted to her that she would get the final, uh, because I've seen her referee the games before. And uh, for me, it was obvious that, that she was at that moment by far the best. Uh, she was very modest about it, didn't think so, but, uh, uh, she did get that honor and I think it was very deserved and the reason why she is an exceptional umpire 
at, at this young age, for me, uh, according to me, and I'm not a specialist in the matter, but that is because Lorin is also still today a very good player. She plays the game of hockey at top level, uh, in, in the top honor division in Belgium, for one of the top teams in Belgium. <coughs> she could be even considered for national team. She's that good. And it is that uh, characteristic that makes her such a good umpire today. So I don't know about the, the, the ageism uh, in, 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 in umpires and in uh, selecting umpires. And uh, I will always be against any, any discrimination based upon age, young or old. Uh, for me, if, if, if you're good enough, you're good enough. So then, then you, you can play if you're a player and you can referee if you're, if you're the umpire. Um, so if, if, you're, if you're over 50 but you're still very fit and you have a keen eye on the game and, and you really understand the game, for me, you should be able to, 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 to be the umpire of the Olympic final. Uh, but then again, reality sets in and I do think that, that people, once you turn a certain age... Uh, being that this is not something that most of us do professionally, yeah, you get other priorities in life as well. So if if you get over the age of of of, of 30, for example, you will get into a family life, uh, man or woman. You will get into a a regular career outside of hockey, uh, men or women, and that will have an impact on on your ability to 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 be a referee at ver- the very highest level. So. I don't know if, if it's really the age or the appearance. Uh, you could be right, Kili. I've never thought about it. Uh, but what, f- for me, made a very young umpire like Lorine uh, the right choice for the Olympic final in Rio was that she is playing at the very highest level and she really understands the game as a player and that makes her a great umpire. And I think that is more important than, than the question of age uh, or looks. Jazz, considering the conversation we've had before about the differences between the interest in Indian men's and women's hockey, how do you go, A, recruiting umpires, and B, women umpires? Um, I think uh, I would like to correlate the two points, uh, that one that John made and the second that uh, Ons made. Um, John said that um, you need proper knowledge right at the grassroots level to know the rules properly, and we need certain 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 number of people um, making the kids play the game in the uh, following the right rules the right calls are made during the games that that's what makes for a good umpire in the future and john was also right uh, and uh, i'm sorry ernst was also right in saying that uh, proper knowledge all, only makes a proper umpire so so in on that terms uh, i think uh, in india uh, there is a proper program going on and um, you find you will find at least in terms of uh, gender if you talk you will find at least i think over 20 uh, women umpires uh, listed on the hockey india website which is a good enough number um, uh, it's an it's another issue another issue how many of them graduate to become an fih empire uh, internationally but yeah uh, the number is not bad in india the the program is good um, it's it's being properly done, and the gender bias is also not there. There are good number of women empires that we have, and good number of men empires as well. Um, but uh, but in terms of uh, uh, aesthetics, uh, that that the point that Kiri brought in, 
like Ernst, I will uh, agree that it's not something that many of us even thought about uh, before, but it's also something that I don't think will... Uh, I, I wonder if it will make an impact uh, getting people into the ground, as Keely was mentioning, that um, the looks and all that. Uh, I don't know how it fits into uh, getting people crashing into the ground, um, especially in India, if you see... Uh, um, if you see, if you follow IPL matches, Indian Premier League matches, you will see people getting behind the cheerleaders, and they are almost caged uh, inside uh, with their uh, pom poms. So, uh, so this is this is something that needs to be looked upon. Aesthetics things, I I'm, I think I'm not the right person to comment on that. So, so so that's something that I would leave uh, to the more knowledgeable people on the panel. But yeah, according. Um, I would agree that only proper knowledge makes for a good empire, whether a man or a woman. And in India, I think uh, it, it, the recruitment is in good hands and it's coming up, as you see, um, every now and then an Indian empire being graduated to the FIS level. Well, from my perspective, there's plenty of young umpires who make mistakes. I don't think age is necessarily a barrier to anybody umpiring. And look, um, Keely. I'm, I'm used to seeing misshapen, unfit umpires every weekend. Um, they're <laughs> generally waving at me or talking to me at one point or another. And as for aesthetics, fluoro shirts, bloody hell, get rid of them. <laughs> it's the only way that the players could possibly notice that we're there, really. <clears throat> well, there's that whistle thing. Uh, 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 until, until they get distracted. <laughs> exactly. So, just to bring it back just a second, I, I yeah. just want to cover off and tie together a couple points that that were made, and and obviously the, the the need to develop the hockey sense, the hockey mind, the understanding of the rules as a player. We all would agree that that's that's essential. And and going back to Ernst's point about Lorraine, is is that she's been able to do both at yeah. the same time. My fear is that in order to really become a good umpire, you really do need to invest. You need a lot of reps, just like you do as a player. You need to umpire a lot of matches. And how do you balance playing a lot with umpiring a lot, especially if you're progressing up to the next level of domestic competition and you need to travel a bit? So there are, there are umpires in England, for example, who need to travel a little bit on the weekends in order to go umpire a match, and that means that they can't play. So they have to make a choice at a young age. It happens here in Canada because we have so few competitions. An umpire may have to choose between playing at nationals or umpiring at nationals. So that's the concern I have is that you don't give the individual the time to both develop themselves as a player and then develop themselves as an umpire. Whatever they did in Belgium and whatever they're doing now because they're churning out lots of great umpires, we need to figure that out and try to make that happen everywhere so that the, the, the level of grassroots umpiring does get strengthened for all and there are opportunities for you know those exceptional people to move up the ranks. Yeah, Kili, I think you, you, have a, you have a really good point and, and it is very difficult to, to manage both a playing career and, and an umpire career. It's practically impossible uh, and, and nobody knows how Laureen managed to do what she did. Uh, she sacrificed a lot of her time uh, uh, outside of hockey into hockey. That I can tell you. Um, and one of the great things that we are seeing, uh, also uh, referencing to your latest comment there, yes, we are seeing a lot of new, 
female and male umpires rising to, to, to a, a much better level recently in, in both Belgium and in Holland. Well, I'm a little bit more knowledgeable about Belgium, uh, living here, uh, and there is a very good program uh, supported by, by the, the, the Belgian Federation where these umpires have proper training and, and they are really guided and there are umpire managers who follow the young talents and, 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 and give them their feedback immediately after games. Umpire managers who were actually at the game that they are refereeing and uh, that is really something that, that, uh, that is helping a lot in, in turning out uh, better umpires. We even have now several female umpires in Belgium, well several, a couple, who are capable of, of being the umpire of a top men's game at that speed and without a flaw, uh, probably even better than most male, male umpires. I've seen those in Holland as well. I've seen, I've followed the Dutch Hofklasse for more than 10 years really up close. There are female umpires there who are doing the job in, in, in the male competition as well. And that comes from, 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 yeah, good training and, and good education and a good follow up by umpire managers and umpire trainers. Do you think this this happening internationally? Uh, women umpires uh, refereeing in a male game? I don't think it is common at the moment, and I don't think that they are promoting the idea. I do think that there are a couple of female umpires who are absolutely capable of doing this. Probably some better than some male umpires at the international level. Uh, Michelle Hubert just refed one of our men's finals in South Africa. Outstandingly oh, wow. well. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt at all that the, the, the top umpires, male or female, would, would have any dramas going either way. And I think, look, if we could finish off this section, because we've still got Ernst to get to yet. It's a bit of a marathon, but thanks for sticking with us, folks. You are listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. Oh, and that's part one, Matt, of our panel discussion. Well, what a discussion as well. Uh, I'm a little bit breathless from it. There was a lot to take in and hopefully you, uh, you enjoyed that out there in the hockey world and we brought up a few, uh, a few issues and ideas to the, the global hockey table. Well, there's lots of areas of discussion there, isn't there? On a range of topics, as it turned out. And look, even more to come next week as well. Um, yeah, thanks so much to yeah. the guys for joining us and uh, hopefully that's a fitting way to, to celebrate our 50th episode. And as you alluded to, it's not quite the end of the 50th episode because it was sort of tailing into the 51st episode as well. We've still got our Ernst's special topic to talk about. Tradition versus innovation. Yeah, so we've got another 40 odd minutes to go there yet, folks, for next week. We'll save that for then. Looking forward to bringing you that. <laughs> Bit of feedback. Have uh, we got any feedback? Yeah, we have had some feedback this week. There was some feedback from a gentleman in Japan um, saying he really loved the introduction to last week's show, which was warning of uh, future profanities. Uh, hopefully we didn't offend anybody. Uh, we didn't get any feedback on our uh, Fat Guts Griffin, Griffin uh, correspondent Guts. Uh, reporting for the revolting stick. Um you know, do, do we, we assume it? people liked it or didn't like it? Well, this Normally, it. when people don't like things, what do you they reckon? Complain. Well, they do, I guess. Uh, so well, we, maybe we might hear some more from Griffin. We might Buckets, have to get him to uh, tone it down a little bit. I think, just he just, like, I think he just gets excited, John. 
What else has been happening? So, um, going so we did find out Wex Hockey Club. So, Yorma oh, yeah. Thompson, our guest last week, uh, you can check out Wex, W-H-E-C-S, um, hockey. Search that on Facebook. Uh, I don't have the exact link to hand, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, it's World Hockey Entertainment Club, I believe. So they're okay. the guys to check out in Tokyo and, uh, they're going to be getting onto score.com very soon and registering their club on there. So if you're looking to move to Tokyo or go and play some games there, check out those guys. Hey, I got, I got a new follower on Twitter this week. Did you? I did indeed. Uh, have you have you heard of these people? Um, the Hockey Live. The Hockey Live. Have you heard of that? Oh yeah, I did. Um, speaking to uh, Tyron a little bit earlier on, I think. But uh, t- what do you see in front of you there, John? I see the Hockey Live, your number one source of live field hockey online streaming globally. Follow us hashtag live or hashtag live stream hockey broadcasters. Please add to your live hockey something. Let me click promos. on promos. Yeah, promos. Is yeah, that what yeah. it says? I, I believe wow, so. Wow, yeah. you're pretty clever at being able to determine that. It does indeed. So the look, yes, it promos. is, John, it's a little idea, um, that I think we should have a run with, but we talk a lot about trying to get out the live streams everywhere and, uh, you know, we're not running 24 hours a day and not quite, uh, au fait with getting across the Twitter bots and things to give you those feeds at all times. So I was just thinking maybe we can work to have a, a global hockey hashtag that we can use on Twitter, we can use on Facebook, we can use on Instagram, where if you're broadcasting a live stream, you put the hashtag live stream hockey, L-I-V-E-S-T-R-E-A-M-H-O-C-K-E-Y, live stream hockey. You know how to spell it. I don't know why I bothered doing that. Um, and uh, we've... We've got the Twitter, the Twitter page set up at the live, at the hockey live. Um, and so that can be the sort of, you know, the conduit to get the information out there. But if you put that hashtag live stream hockey on your broadcast, let's move to get that viewed by the global hockey community and, uh, let everybody see what's available. We complain about not knowing what's going on and when it's going on. Well, you can, Get that it's hashtag. As easy as a hashtag. It's, it's easy as a hashtag, and you can get that. And you can get alerts through your Facebook page. You can get alerts uh, from us on 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 Twitter when we post through and use that hashtag. So uh, look, hopefully, a really simple solution for um, a problem that some of us do, do struggle with across the hockey so world. So I've I've just logged on to my Twitter account, uh-huh. and I go, I'd like to watch live hockey. What's on? If I typed the hashtag. No, if you just follow, if you the follow the hockey live, yeah, you can then set an alert on your phone that every time at the hockey live tweets, then you'll receive a notification. Okay, say I'm not that au fait with all that sort of stuff, and I'd just go, oh, what's live, and I type that hashtag into the search bar on Twitter. That's right. It will come up with the stream, all the different tweets that have got that. Hashtag. Go across to the latest tab. Yeah. Not necessarily the top, but the latest tab. And that will show the very latest tweet there that somebody It'll put the li- live stream hockey on there. Hashtag live stream hockey. Excellent. And so if you want to watch some hockey, that's the place to go to find out if there's something on at that moment in time or yep. even, you know, coming up that you can set, set in, your, in your calendar. That's a fairly clever idea from you. I that, thought. That, thanks. Yeah. It's pretty, well it's, it's pretty simple, but I hope 
you know, it's, uh, I hope it's something that we can connect a little bit with across the hockey globe and, uh, wherever you are broadcasting from, whatever the size of the, the game or the crowd, then you can share that with the hockey world. Well, it's a great start. A good idea, mate. Thank you, mate. Well done on 50 episodes. Are we done? You've done a magnificent job. You have. We've got to call it quits this week. We've got more coming up from Ernst and Keeley next week as part of our podcast panel celebrating our 51st episode <laughs> next week. Uh, we look forward to your company then. And thanks for being with us across the first 50 episodes as well. Without your support, we wouldn't keep doing it because it's not the money keeping us here, that's for sure. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, tell your mates, listen to the Global Hockey Podcast, The Reverse Stick. See you later, mate. Good luck this weekend. Oh, I'm just writing that down. Hang on a sec. <laughs> it's B A L L. Good one. <laughs> Cheers. I'll be here all morning. <laughs>